2: You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. The title of today's show is Signs of Change at McLaren. That title is suggested on Twitter by Anton Bellio. Thank you very much. And we've just heard as well that Carlos Sainz has has inherited P3, so that is an absolutely fantastic result for Signs and for McLaren. He's inherited that after a penalty for Lewis Hamilton. That may come up in the show, and he is not getting a penalty for uh, violations under the yellow flag or safety car. Runner-up title is from Andy Isender, who says, "Ah," and then translates it to screams in Gasly. I'm your host, Richard Spanners-Ready, and I'm joined by Matt to it. How's it going, Matt?
1: Uh, it's going quite well, thank you much. I'd say we have more than a tiny bit to discuss today.
2: Yeah, it's it was an absolutely fantastic race. A, a tweet from Richard McGill drew my attention. He said, 2021 can't come soon enough. This race was far too exciting. Let's be fair, this race, this season... And this race has been absolutely thrilling had it not been for the fact that Mercedes disappeared in the first eight races. And and it does feel like we're doing the same as uh, previous regulation shifts where we're finally getting the teams closing up together and then we're going to go and change the regulations. We should start a petition that if 2020 is mint, we just pause the 2021 regulations and, and push that into the distance.
1: Yeah, we should just save the money, keep everything the same and sort of lock it down since that's never gone wrong before.
2: Look, I know there will be logistical problems. 2021 is logged in, but considering how negative things were looking at the beginning of the season, and I did understand it because there were it looked like it was just going to be complete Mercedes domination. Actually, we're getting to the position where 2020 Looks like it's going to be a stellar year in Formula One. But we're here to review the Brazilian Grand Prix. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. We're also joined by a fine panel of experts. Really bad news. The chair from last week could not make it. So filling in at the last minute. Thanks for, thanks for filling in for the chair. Chris Stevens. Hi, Spanners. The chair is
3: very comfy and uh, I'm very happy to be back on the show. Yeah, I was watching the Macau Grand Prix this morning, uh, thinking that, man, that's it's going to be quite hard for the F1 to provide as entertaining a race as that. And um, boy, did Interlagos deliver?
2: Yeah, it's it's a fantastic track. And when it delivers, it it really, really delivers. We're also joined by Sarah Nichol. How's it going, Sarah?
4: It's going great, Spanners. I've had so much fun watching this race. I can't contain myself almost.
2: Do you know what? I've never actually asked you where your fandom lies, Sarah. Where does, where does your bias lie? And don't say nowhere. Don't say, oh, I just want to see good racing. It's not acceptable here.
4: It lies with Norris, I think. Norris <laughs> and uh, like I think the level of heartbreak I had, and as someone who's called herself a hamphosi in the past, and actually I was heartbroken for Albon, so I think it's very much the the people who've got to prove themselves. That's always where my heart tends to lie. So Hamilton, I'm pleased for, but it's all it's all about the uh, the young guns coming up.
2: All about the young guns coming through in Formula One. Yet another reason why 2020 is going to be amazing. Now, Matt, normally. We would go through the the pre race stuff, the practice sessions, and the qualifying. Certainly, there was a lot of exciting stuff there. But I think when we've had something with such a meaty a meaty phase of action like we had in the second half of today's race, I think we're go- what we're going to do is we're going to skip that, skip one and lost. Uh, we're going to pick it up from the second phase of pit stops, and then we're going to roll back around and uh, and talk about Supermax. And Super Red Bull and their victory today. How does that sound?
1: I think we can work with that.
2: All right. So, from the second pit stops, where was the race won and lost?
1: Well, this was the everything for Mercedes because they tried the undercut on lap 43 of Verstappen and they got the job done. Verstappen came in the following lap, got just about taken out by Kubica coming out of the pits, and Hamilton was seemingly away the only thing that was problematic was he was in he was in the midst of passing Leclerc and so Verstappen came out there was a gap and Hamilton didn't take very long to get past him but it was just long enough to let Max get back up on his gearbox and crucially in the lap chase that he'd done getting around Leclerc he'd more or less drained his battery and so when Verstappen got onto the back of him and chased him down the start-finish straight, he had no power. And let's remember that the Ur's power is fairly significant. That's like 160 brake horsepower. He had no defense, and Max was easily able to get round him and into the lead. So it was critical for Mercedes to get him in front, but Leclerc proved to be the obstacle that kept it from sticking.
2: Yeah, and, and that's um, I was getting confused thinking that was the first set of pit stops but actually, no. That was the second set of pit stops. On two occasions, Hamilton tried to undercut Verstappen, and looking at the timing screens, the undercut really did look on like it looked surprisingly powerful. In uh, for the second pit stops, uh, Bottas came in first. He was actually on the hard's. Only did twelve laps. Only did twelve laps. I think came in onto mediums. And me and the lad were looking at the timing screen saying, "Actually, this is incredible. We can see Bottas's pace." on the mediums, on new tires. And it was something like three and, three seconds a lap quicker than what Hamilton and Verstappen were doing. So suddenly you go, oh my, the, the undercut is really on here. And obviously they went to attempt it again and and then obviously deployed their their customer team to try and, and block the Red Bulls as well.
1: Yeah, and, and let's remember that this stint, the second stint was the one where Lewis was complaining very much about his medium tires and not liking them at all. And at a certain point he was like, I can't get any closer, bring me in, and that's what prompted this uh this pit stop on this particular lap
2: right so so I'll tell you what chris I'll tell you what chris what was what was crucial in in this phase was with the undercut being attempted, Verstappen after the second stop, I think I'm doing my maths right here came out and through the first mini timing sectors, obviously he was out ahead, he was one point four seconds ahead of Lewis Hamilton right. And looking at the pit stops, the second set of pit stops, Verstappen's stop was 1.9 seconds. Hamilton's was 3.3. There was a 1.4 second difference between the teams' pit yeah. stops, and that was also what separated them in the timings.
3: Uh, that was exactly going to be my point. I mean, full credit to the the Red Bull pit stop crew putting in two sub two second pit stops for Max Verstappen, and that really it's astonishing to to do it once in a Grand Prix to do it at twice. Uh, definitely really helped Max uh, win uh, that part of the race anyway, because as we saw, the undercut was indeed very, very powerful. As soon as Lewis got in some clean air, he was really putting in uh, the lap times. And especially on the medium tire, he was a lot happier on that medium tire than he was on uh, the softs because he was actually able to to go with uh, Max and, and start to eke in and you know get within that DRS. And it looked like there was going to be a bit of a challenge there.
2: You're right. And it might feel like we're skimming through some of this, but we, we are going to roll back to the individual to the individual things and events that happened. It's just that this period was so chaotic and we came away from it going, there were so many points where you thought the race was over. And then you had to sit up and go, oh, actually, something something incredible is about to happen. And it was all kicked off the crazy chain of events by Bottas chasing down Leclerc on fresh tyres. And And do I have this right, Matt? Bottas was on fresher tires than Charles Leclerc. So Bottas had the pace over the Ferrari, had the tires over the Ferrari, and just once again, we just saw the real weakness of Bottas' overall race is When it gets wheel to wheel, when he has a chance to attack, he ducks out, he doesn't quite do it. I, I think there's five other drivers in that car on the grid that were past Leclerc.
1: I'm sorry, I was distracted by the chat room. Did you say Ocon?
2: <laughs> no, I did. No, I did not. Oh, I see. If Ocon was in that seat, ah, uh, you weren't really distracted by the chat room. It was a trick, yeah. yeah. Uh, which is which is going to be more crucial next season. I'm sure we'll chat plenty o- about that over the winter. But he he just does not seem to be able to really take these these vital opportunities. And I don't want to come come across all Rosberg mimi here. But did he possibly contribute to his own engine failure by the amount of time he spent behind Leclerc?
1: It was officially classified as an oil leak. But yes, the longer time you spend behind a car, the hotter it gets. Mercedes marginal on cooling all year long at best. One one presumes that it did the power unit no favors at all. To be stuck back there and to your original point about the tires yeah you were deadly correct botas was in lap 41 uh leclerc was on hard tires from lap 29 and botas still could not get round him which could be a bit of ferrari power unit and could just be a bit of not quite same race craft as yeah. someone like say hamilton
2: if this was one data point you could say, oh, come on, guys, you're being a bit harsh. You don't know what was happening. There was an engine problem that manifested itself and that was causing the lack of pace. So I'm, I'm sure that is valid. That is valid. However, Chris, we do see this over and over again, don't we?
3: It was, um, first sign of weakness for Mercedes, wasn't it? And, uh, they've been down on power all weekend. Uh, certainly the high altitude, uh, not really working well for their engine. Uh, there were some great quotes, uh, from, uh, Mercedes. I, f- I forget, um, specifically who on, um, Autosport, Motorsport about, uh, how, you know, they designed their, their turbo and compressor to work over the course of a season. Uh, and how with the majority of races, it works much better for them. But these high altitude races, you know, Austria, Mexico, Brazil, uh, the second-highest race on the calendar, uh, then uh, it, it doesn't work as as well. And they lose more performance relative to, for example, the Honda. And that's why we were able to to see uh, Verstappen blitz past uh, Lewis and why Gasly was able to hold his own despite Lewis having uh, DRS. Actually, I don't think he would have had DRS because there was uh, two laps uh, from the safety car. But uh, despite Lewis's best efforts, overtake mode and all, uh, no way through on the run to the finish line.
2: And then this is this is where it all got super, super fun. Uh, just to remind you, in case you're finding us for the first time, uh, you're listening to Miss Apex Podcast, and we record this live. So there's a podcast version and a video version, and we have a live chat room. Hello to everybody in the live chat room. Over the course of the evening, we tend to get a few thousand people on occasion drop in, and currently, I'm told there's 550 people concurrently in the chat room at the moment chatting and Matt gets very distracted. So, so please m- try not to distract uh, Matt too much. And uh, if you want to join them, go and find Miss Apex podcast on YouTube and you can chat live uh, whilst watching our faces. And thank you very much to Mark and speed easy who have used the super chat function <laughs> to give a donation. And I feel obliged to read out the comments on the super chat. So speed easy, in, uh, in Austin Grand Prix 2018 style says vroom. There we go. Consider your comment, rant. Matt, this is where the fun really started. Uh, when, when the safety car was called, uh, it looked like Bottas did a, a perfectly good job, uh, getting his car out of harm's way. To me, I'm not an expert. They took the decision to put, to pull a full safety car, like full on NASCAR style let's mix this this race up and make it a bit crazy. That's when we sat up and and paid attention. What I want to know from you guys is who thought who should pit. So as soon as there's a safety car, in my head, I'm like, pit. You've got to pit. Chris, were you screaming at the screen? Okay, Matt, you've got an opinion.
1: I have an opinion. I think Verstappen should have pitted, and I don't think Hamilton should have pitted because the Mercedes lacked the power and had been overtaken. So... You know, I think Verstappen, it was a no brainer to bring him in.
2: All right, let's have a look at the rest of the panel. Chris, what were you thinking?
3: Definitely no brainer for uh, Verstappen, but I can't understand why Mercedes wouldn't put uh, Pitt Hamilton because that safety car was always bound to put him in amongst cars that were going to be on fresh tyres. Like, remember China last year when Ricardo won because he was on the fresh tyres and he stormed through the field? And Mercedes made, in my opinion, the same mistake because they left themselves exposed on older tyres
2: and and harder tyres compared to the cars around them. In the Super Chat, Andrew Pappas instantly abuses me saying I have to read it out by saying, hey, Spanners, it was Hamilton's fault. We're going to play some Whose Fault Is This? Don't worry. And also, we will later in the show talk a little bit about technical directives. Uh, So don't worry. We We will definitely have that chat. Sarah?
4: So just to stick on the whether Hamilton should have pitted or not, one of the things that was discussed a lot after the race was how Hamilton was sort of driving Mercedes' strategy a lot more. Is this something he's is it something he's getting to do now because he's won the championship and he can kind of make more calls in these kind of situations? Or is this just um the difference in power between him and say Verstappen, who was very much just fully following orders immediately?
3: Well, on that I think the teams really do need to listen to the drivers in those situations because at the end of the day, they're the one driving the car and the one with the feel. Um, as much as it's got to be a two-way street and the team needs to say, well, you know, the lap times are fine. So even if it does feel horrible, uh, then we have to stick with it. But if, if losers is sitting there and saying, you know, this is actually awful, I think we should change. They've got to listen to that feedback.
1: I think very much uh, what you're talking about is the experience of the drivers. We see Ferrari listening to Vettel a lot because he has the experience and mastery of the Pirelli tires, and I wouldn't expect that to be too different at Mercedes. Lewis has shown himself to be a master of tire preservation and understanding how they're working, Um and to the extent they feed him information, he can give them appropriate feedback to help them make decisions. So uh, not a surprise, really.
4: Not a surprise, but in, is this a case where it's then actually coming back to bite them? Because I don't think their choices were as strong. I don't think anyone can argue their choices were as strong.
2: Uh, no, it was it was definitely a, a messy... We've got a whole section on Mercedes strategy, Matt. Uh, but they, they elected for the do the opposite to Verstappen, which... Which I I just think it, it put them on the back foot as soon as they didn't go in and it was clear that Verstappen could come out effectively in second place although on track that translated to 19th place behind a 100 backmarkers. As, as soon as that became apparent you, you look at the maths you look at the tyre charts and you go Hamilton is absolutely a sitting duck and I think Hamilton knew he was a sitting duck and I tell you what we're talking about Hamilton making calls it felt like all the all the things Hamilton wanted to do actually led Mercedes down a, a bad path. So I don't know if Toto Wolf being there or, or not being there has an effect at all, but it just seemed like a very, very different... You don't think so, Chris? It felt like a very different uh, uh, atmosphere of decision-making at Mercedes. And I, I don't think... Lewis Hamilton doesn't normally make those decisions. Normally they make the call, he comes out and then goes... Guys, why did we do that? Why am I here? Why am I on this tire? Maybe it's as simple as him him thinking Toto's not here. I've got to step up and fill some of that leadership void.
3: No, I, I think it's it's very easy to to see Toto not at this race and connect the dot between this bad race when clearly Mercedes have had some very bad races when Toto was at, at the race. Fair. I don't think you can't you can't link the, uh, uh, an underperformance from a team down to one person. Uh, not being there. Like we saw uh, Pete Bonington not being in Mexico and things ran super smooth. And uh, Toto is not just a guy who, who comes in and makes all the decisions. You know, he's the one who, who delegates. Uh, So uh, frankly, I don't think you can, you can say Toto not being at the race uh, made the
2: team underperform. Okay. So as you know, I am a declared Lewis Hamilton fan. And I think, I think if the championship was still in contention today, as a Lewis Hamilton fan, I would be pretty unhappy with Lewis Hamilton. Obviously you can be a bit more relaxed because the titles in the bag, but Matt that that safety car behavior I and and I, what the reason I talked about being a Lewis Hamilton fan was so I didn't anger all the fosi out there. The the safety car behavior, behavior really irked me. There was something about it where he was being so impatient saying the safety car was going too slowly as if there was some kind of malice behind it. And what really, really got me was the, the getting right underneath the rear bumper and getting right alongside the safety car. I just thought that that is not a good example. It's not representative of his normal conduct. It just it felt all around just like poor form, if that's not too snobby a thing to say.
1: Almost as if, being on used medium tires, he was desperate to go fast enough to keep any temperature Uh, at all in them with Verstappen behind him on brand new, fresh softs that were going to work no matter what. Yeah, this is playing the refs 100% when you get into safety car positions like this. We heard, in fact, Carlos Sainz do the same thing. Carlos, on the hard tire, I believe, running a one-stop in seventh position going, oh, yeah, there's still tons of debris on the track. Please keep the safety car out until the end of the race.
0: Yes. And, very and, good.
1: <laughs> yeah, you, you get my point. I mean, I think this is a game that all the drivers play, trying to get things to work to their best advantage. I'm not going to ding him for that. Uh, I didn't see him get that close to the safety car. Oh, no, Too close no. to the safety well, car, then that's a separate issue. But the radio stuff? that's that's full on uh gamesmanship right there
2: okay well i accept the gamesmanship element of it but the the getting so close to the safety car the a it's it's dangerous you are in a very low car b setting a bad example etc uh but c also you're impeding the the work and the you're making the safety car driver have to think and look at an extra thing when his job is to monitor safety so that that irks me so i i will just put that on the record and then A few people will have been annoyed about his really slow restart. Obviously, he knows he's on cold, used, medium tyres. He's got fresh, hot, soft tyres behind him. He ground that pack to a a halt, to an absolute halt. And I'll I'll be interested to see how people feel about that. Because when we talk about gamesmanship, Chris, uh, that was pure gamesmanship, uh, a little bit unexpected, a very extreme tactic, I think, on the restart.
3: But he also knows that Max has got the legs on him on the straight. So he needs to minimise the amount of time that they're running flat out down that straight. Otherwise, Max would have got him even sooner. Uh, And Max took it to an even more extreme level, like Baku levels of extreme, where you get like, you know, metres to the the finish line, and then you go.
2: Yeah, uh, Matt, uh, some of the chat room I think is agreeing. Uh, No, actually, always quite split. Restart was cool. Restart was poor sports. It, It definitely was gamesmanship. I think it was on the edge.
1: Uh, yeah, but let's be clear. The thing that really sets the drivers off is not that the I've crawled to a stop and I'm going to crawl for a while. It's the I'm going fast and I slow down suddenly and then I go fast and then I slow down again. I think, I think that's considered to be much more poor form amongst the drivers, this inconsistency in speed.
2: But uh, Well done to Vettel for resisting the urge to drive alongside and, and nudge into him, uh, uh, thus avoiding a penalty, which he also successfully avoided in other incidents that may or may not come up later on. Okay. I felt a little foolish. Uh, actually, it was, it was great. It was a, it was a good overtake by Max. It was solid. Overtaking Lewis Hamilton around the outside is always a little notch on the belt. Hamilton looked very fighty to try and come back straight away. I liked that. I liked seeing that fight. I looked away for, for a moment. I looked up at my screen to see Lewis Hamilton charging down the Interlagos, home straight, overtaking a Red Bull brilliantly. I was on my feet. I was screaming at the TV. That, that's why he's the GOAT. Greatest driver of all time, going absolutely nuts. My son just pulls on my leg. Dad, that's Albon. <laughs> I, I, it wasn't just me, was it? It wasn't just me.
3: No, no. I, I think a lot of people thought it
2: was max as well
3: slightly poor direction there uh
2: yeah we can all blame crofty i think can't we we can all we can all blame crofty for that and then of course matt the if we're still talking about our where the race was won and lost in in this segment the we get another safety car with the ferraris colliding we will do whose fault is that just a little bit later but i want to get onto the effect that had
1: Yeah, I I think that's fine. I will just set it up. The crucial thing at the first safety car restart was Albon getting around Vettel, which left the Ferraris to fight amongst themselves, which led to what we would say would be the inevitable conclusion, and brought up the (laughs) second safety car. It
2: it does feel inevitable, doesn't it, Matt? Uh, Sorry,
3: go on then, Chris. Can can we just commend Albon for that incredible move? I mean, the first time he's really properly gone toe-to-toe with with these guys, wheel-to-wheel. And he showed absolutely no remorse. I mean, two wheels on the grass on the inside of turn two. Sensational stuff. And I have uh, no doubt that if he's on you know, sort of par with Max uh, next season, he will have no trouble in squabbles next year fighting at the front.
1: Right. Well, you mentioned the second safety car. And that uh, gave Mercedes the chance to double down on their interesting decision making by bringing Hamilton in with, I believe... Five laps left in the race.
2: Oh, I was so angry. I was so angry because the last safety car was a hundred laps, wasn't it? And then, yeah. so with five laps to go, like, what are you doing? Imagine. Im- I mean, they were saved with their blushes by the safety car allowing two racing laps. But just imagine what we'd be saying here about the Merck strategy if they'd basically pitted him out of second place.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, they expected him to come out behind Albon. And he came up behind Gasly, problem number one. Problem number two, I think Stroll pulled over with a suspension problem as well. So now that Shame. safety car period looked to be extended. And you were going, yeah, that could not possibly have been a worse decision,
3: but we had yet to see the end of the race. Yeah, the uh, The first safety car took forever because all the cars except for the, the front three teams were all, you know, a lap down. And because of this, lapped cars can overtake rule, it took forever to not only get all of them ahead, but then also round the other side. Because we had so little green flag racing, we didn't have to go through that the second uh, time uh, round. But I absolutely agree with you. It, it really didn't make much sense to pit uh, Lewis in the second uh, safety car
2: at just, that point. Just while you're talking about the, the back markers unlapping themselves, it's insane. Ever since that rule came in, I've just been just, I, just don't, I don't understand why they can't, just go into the pit lane or or go slowly through the pit lane and, and and sort it out that way. And it'd be done really quickly. Uh, Or then there's an integrity of, Oh, you're robbing them of a lap. I, I don't care. I don't think, I think there's an other mathematical way you could sort that out. But Chris, one thing I did notice was looking at the, the timing app, you see the little chart of where the, of where the, the cars actually are. Don't you? I I can't remember if it was that or or the
3: GPS thing.
2: I can't remember if it was on the app or on the telly. But as we were going towards the restart, you could see just how far the two Williams cars were still behind. So, like by the time <laughs> the restart came, they just hadn't they hadn't been able to catch up even at that kind of pace.
3: Yeah, um, the, the the reason we put in this rule is because we always used to complain, didn't they? We? We're like, oh well, yeah, we've got a safety car restart, but it's really boring because there's three cars in between the leaders. But for my money, you know, a safety car is supposed to kind of not neutralise the race, but it's you know sort of stopping the racing action. Why? are the leaders then entitled suddenly to having no cars in between them when they go racing again.
2: They had backmarkers before the safety car, so why not have backmarkers after the safety car? That's a fair shout, Matt.
1: Uh, Yeah, and if you think back far enough to when that was how they did it, you'll know why they changed it, because the drivers complained about it, and there were even more crashes than we have now, where they moved the backmarkers out of the way. I I did want to make a brief point as uh, having seen a James Allison interview post-race that he basically said, well, you know what? We pretty much didn't have any kind of advantage that we normally have. And so we're basically, we're rolling the dice a little bit, <laughs> trying, trying, yeah. trying to get a win because you know, what do we have to lose at this point? We've won the constructors. We have the driver's championship too. So we might as well see if we can uh, take the top step of the podium By being ambitious, but I think on reflection, they realized that perhaps it was a bit too ambitious.
2: Oh, please, please let this state of play carry over into 2020. Please, can we see Mercedes having to really dig deep? Because you're right, like 2014, 2015, 2016, it actually didn't matter what they did with aero. They had so much power. They could bolt on aero, they could be draggy, and they could just power through it. And then 2017, 2018, they've, they've had an overall power advantage that they've started to lose of late. But yeah, in these conditions, like Mexico and here, let's see what they're really, let's see what they're really made of. Not to do down their achievements because they earned being in that position, but to see what they are like in race day in this kind of situation more often. I mean, be careful what you wish for because you might make them even more powerful you might make them even better uh, we're just finishing our run through of how the race was won and lost loads and loads of things to circle back to like whose fault is this so lewis hamilton's challenge for the win ultimately ended when he clashed with alexander albon a, a massive massive shame for for alexander albon I, I bet chris i bet you're sat there disappointed he was on potentially for you know for second place there
3: yeah well genuinely um could have been a Honda 123, uh you know, which would have been sensational. But I I just keep thinking back to Albon and how, you know, he didn't even have a super license in February. And eighteen months ago there was no hope of him ever being in F one. And suddenly today he was staring at his first F one.
2: You said you said it was a massive mistake for him to go to Toro Rosso instead of take that Formula E drive. And I, I stand by the opinion I had at the time if I had the foresight to
3: see that Gasly (laughs) was going to be so slow that they would demote him and Albon suddenly would get this opportunity, I would go back in time and slap the pen out of my hand uh, on that day in Valencia where I wrote that, uh, that feature. Um, But um, do you know what, Chris, Chris,
2: Chris, let's just, let's (laughs) say that perhaps you were wrong for the right reasons. You were wrong yeah, for good I, for good reasons. I, but but the, the sum the sum of this event, sorry to cut you off, Chris. The so sum sorry. of this event between Hamilton and Alburn, who, who you know, there there may be some discussion on that later, was that Gasly just sailed through. It, really interesting. After the incident, Lewis Hamilton, who clearly still had a functioning car, almost rolled he rolled to a halt pretty much, and it took a long time for him to pull away, almost as if he was like looking back over his shoulder like, everyone cool? Everyone all right? Oh, <laughs> Almost like in a karting event where if you let the other guy past you and you don't get an advantage by the contact, you avoid a penalty. It was almost like he was doing that. Sees that the album is just spun off, goes to pull away, by which time Gasly has sailed through on his way to, Chris, I, I, we can't undersell this, an absolutely <laughs> glorious second place in a Toro Rosso. I would I would put that on par with some of the greatest midfield results of, of all time.
3: Yeah, so that karting analogy is actually exactly what I thought because I've done it <laughs> uh, during one of our karting um, events. But I mean, for Toro Rosso, this is just amazing, isn't it? Second podium of the season after Kvyat got the one in, in Germany, of course, in that crazy uh, wet, dry race. But for Gasly, I mean, what a story for... You know, his season yeah. after the demotion of Rebel, and he has been amazing in that Toro Rosso since he came back. And he, this weekend, he's been sublime. You know, um, Formula B pole position, as it were, led Formula B the entire way pretty much, and w- was just in exactly the right place and, and picked the battles. Well, he knew that that podium was in contention. He didn't just wave the quick guys through. You know, he, he's been properly, properly brilliant. Sarah. And what a way
4: to get it! It's also like drag, a drag race, basically, oh, around the final corner with the six-time world champion. I you couldn't get a better first podium um, story.
2: And in an era where midfield teams just don't get a podium, this is this is everyone talks about the dominance of the top three. And there's Pierre Gasly in his Toro Rosso second step. Oh, Sarah has uh, disappeared. Uh, Oh, and you're back. Okay, good. We have a full panel uh, back with us here on Mist Apex Podcast. You can follow the show on Twitter at Mist Apex F1. Me, if you should so choose and be so kind, at Spanners Ready. Matt, at MattPT55. Sarah, at Decoding Dragons. And Chris, at Chris on Racing. Uh, An amazing story for Pierre Gasly. I was worried at one point, Chris, uh, that he was not going to ever breathe again. He was exhaling with his celebration for a long, long time. And I just, that, that kind of raw emotion was just, it was incredible. They're going to replay that over and over again for years.
3: That's going to become like a, a, an iconic piece of F1 history, isn't it? And it's just one of those days where you're reminded so much why you love motorsport and, and Formula One, especially because uh, as much as the yeah. lows are so
2: low, the highs are... <laughs> Insane. So we lost loads of the top six in this race, which which yeah. obviously does make it interesting. Uh, that's not taking anything away from, from the next four drivers. But Matt, we we lost Bottas to the engine failure. We lost uh, the two Ferraris to Ferrariness. Yeah, uh, we, and we effectively lost Hamilton through a penalty because he was demoted back down to seventh place, which really left the door open for these guys. And when these opportunities come around, when destiny calls, you know, the heroes answer. And and let's, let's look at the list of the people who deserve all the glories, who have all your bases. Gasly sailing through on into second place. Carlos signs a net third place at the end of the race. McLaren on the podium again. Like what? What a day for McLaren.
3: First time since 2014, which is quite astonishing. Um, especially we consider Toro has had two, two fun this season, um, in, in those circumstances. And, you know, it, it, it's funny. Everyone is talking about McLaren, uh, really moving forward in the grid. They've got a great qualifying car, not so much in, in the race, but, uh, man, I mean, that's, that's really great for them. And, you know, we, we, we talk about, uh, science versus Norris, um, uh, but science kind of shows the experience, I think, this weekend. Coming up from, from last on the grid as well, remember?
2: Uh, uh Norris, looked looked a little out of sorts all weekend. I hope I'm not being unkind to uh to, to Lando Norris, but I think, no, he, I think he, that's fair. He admitted there was a few corners where he wasn't quite quite nailing it. And then he got involved in some really good scraps at the start of the race. But he did lose out to all of them at every point. Whereas Carlos Sainz, let's not forget, Carlos Sainz started 20th through no fault of his own that guy the guy on the podium that didn't get to enjoy his podium sadly started 20th on the grid map.
1: yeah and i'm gonna go with we're gonna need to rock up and give sean kelly a call and say his 20th to third at brazil possibly the biggest exploit that we've seen there i don't know but remember it was a one-stopper he started on the soft yes. tire wit forever was on the hard never came in which is how he gained the places for either safety car and was able to hold off for two laps all of those behind him. It was just a remarkable feat of driving from the Spaniard, I have to say.
2: So, not that it's worth anything, but Bruce Wayne in the chat says, Signs didn't get driver of the day, and that's that's bad. Not that I value that driver of the day, but uh, oh, it's got to be Gasly, hasn't it? I, I would have thought, surely, Gasly would have got the, the popular vote, if you like. Chris?
3: I would have said Gasly as well, but... Um, uh, actually, we, I think we need to uh, commiserate Haas as well. If it weren't for, uh, I think it was an MG UK failure, Roman Grosjean could well have been in contention for that uh, podium. Or possibly if it wasn't for
1: Ricciardo hitting Magnussen, because he finished 11th.
2: Oh, uh, yeah. Plenty, um, of, uh, I, plenty of fodder for whose fault is this? It's coming. Don't worry.
1: I know we're very focused on Formula B, but I think with signs being promoted, if I'm not mistaken, that puts him and Gasly in a tie. Oh, really? Seven and best of the rest (laughs) in the Drivers' Championship. And I'm pretty sure that Toro Rosso is now just six points back of Renault for fifth, which also makes our last race of the year have some suddenly increased stakes.
2: Let's focus then on Formula B for Abu Dhabi. Whatever happens, we will talk where the race was won and lost in regards to Formula B. And then we will do the top six as part of any other business. All in favor, say aye. Good, yeah, I, I, very I, much. I, yeah. Okay, Chris,
3: but on on the constructors championship as well. So in Abu Dhabi, the crucial thing, um, you know, so McLaren pretty much have fourth you know, wrapped up, and it's going to be great for them. But for Toro Rosso, they're on for sixth, and that is is incredible for them. I think it might actually be their best finish in the constructors championship ever, uh, and so this
2: is really really big for them. Okay, guys, I'm I'm going to have to just interrupt slightly. I don't want to alarm anyone, but I'm feeling a rumble, a a sort of a disturbance, a disturbance in the force. Yes, it's coming from the Netherlands. All of the Netherlands is upset right now, saying, why aren't you talking about our boy, Max Verstappen, who claimed yet another victory in arguably the third best car of this championship? And believe you me, we are absolutely thrilled for Red Bull, and we are definitely lauding what was a fantastic victory, and in many ways, a dominant weekend. Are you sure those
3: rumbles weren't uh, why, we, why we weren't talking about Richard Vershaw in the Macau Grand Prix, winning that? He's a duchy. Uh, anyway, no, I, I, I absolutely agree. I don't want to do max down but as much as we talk about the Red Bull being the third best car of this season, I do think it was the best car for Interlagos. Um, Red Bull seemed to, to run the car really well uh, there. I mean, obviously last year was very much due to win that race before the tangle with um, Ocon. Yeah. Uh, and um, you know, I think some of it is power related. Honda have done a brilliant job. So uh, on, to, that, on that, just on that,
2: I'll stop you there. Uh, the The power unit, Matt, was the spec four power unit. So this is the one where they were saying like, guys, look out. I think Honda have really sorted out our, our power deficit. This is, this is the one they were really excited about. And look, in the right conditions, it's, I mean, they were not losing time to their compatriots on the, on the straights, really in qualifying all the sector three times were pretty close between the top three yet they were still the fastest team through the twisty bits there is there is no skullduggery going on here there was no rain there was no weird circumstances Red Bull just turned up with the fastest package for this track
1: yeah and I think it's important to remember uh, that small differences even to the size of the turbocharger can have big differences that can be magnified by altitude But if I'm also not mistaken, I think they were in at Mexico with a fuel upgrade as well. And that was how Mercedes made a lot of their gains. And I think it would be fair to say that at this point, uh, basically from Mexico forward, I think Red Bull has very much made a step that has not been matched by
3: either Ferrari or Mercedes. But this is why... Honda were taking strategic penalties earlier in the season so that they could have performance like this at races like this where they knew they had a good shot, um, at, at, at victory. Again, not to take anything away from, from Red Bull or from Max, because I think he just drove superb, um, today and, uh, his two passes on Lewis Hamilton as well. Fantastic.
1: Yeah. That, that first pass was amazing. And I think possibly the only better one was, uh, Leclerc's pass on Vettel going from the outside to the inside into turn one was just like, whoa.
2: Uh, So just let's look at the the race a little bit from Max Verstappen's point of view. Is it fair to say that although they, they had the best qualifying trim. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll just ask it as a question. I still had the feeling from looking at Friday and looking at the race that perhaps Mercedes did have a slight edge on race pace, but not so much the, uh, that it couldn't be overcome. And well, let's, let's go to Chris. And uh, and Red Bull did everything they could and did everything they could well to make sure they held on to that lead. So uh,
3: I I agree with you to an extent. I think Mercedes had the better car on the medium tyre. Yeah, so they definitely looked much more settled, than the fact that Lewis was able to close in, run close to Max, um, in on that, and the fact that that Bottas had to to pull over, and we got that safety car, really denied us, you know, seeing how that was going to unfold. Because I was fully expecting uh, a Lewis charge at that point, um, but on on the soft tire, uh, I don't think they quite had the legs on the Red Bull in terms of the lap time because we saw he was really straight, especially that second set.
2: Yeah, so I'm I'm trying to think in my head, Matt. You know, was was it was it inevitable, or or did they? F- my feeling is Red Bull really fought and scrapped for this win.
1: I think it was inevitable. Um, before the race, Pirelli put the two stop almost being as fast as the one stop, and I think had Red Bull tried to run a one stop strategy, you might well have seen Mercedes with an edge in tires but they controlled the race from the outset and they set the pace and they set the strategy for everybody and they set it to their advantage. And given a two-stopper, I I really think that it was always going to come down to um, the Red Bull beating the Mercedes. Sarah?
4: Yeah, well, if one of the things we've always said about Mercedes is even when things aren't going their way, they normally pull everything out of the bag and they make the race happen even when you think they make the win happen even when you think they're not going to, they're not going to do it or when they're not in the right position. Red Bull today are showing how far you have to go in order to take, to get those wins. What we need to see next year is them in a position on more tracks in, in this, in this kind of uh, thing because they've got the capability of pushing the strategy when everything's yeah. in their favor, but they need to bring it to the tracks where it's not quite as strong. Um,
2: yeah. I think I see what you're saying. You're saying like, if, if only they could be this close for more tracks, we would be able to see them perform tactically and driver-wise the way we've been able to see here and in Mexico.
4: Yeah, they're showing their capability of performing tactically. Mm. Um, next year, if everything is as close as we're all clearly hoping it's going to be, we'll see more of that. That's going to be really exciting. It's just a shame it's so few tracks at the moment.
2: Yeah, Red Bull did not become a bad team. Overnight, uh, you know, Santa didn't come, uh, come around and, and take away all their talent as a team in the Christmas of 2013. Th- they are a fantastic outfit. And I am a massive, I don't know if I've declared this before. Uh, I'm, I'm a massive Christian Horner fan. And it's not just because of that photo of him shirtless sat on top of a car. I just, I genuinely think he's, he's a generous media personality. And I get the impression he's a, a good, team boss and an effective leader and uh, you know I, I think i'm a fan of red bull in a lot of ways when we when we see them in this position we get to see them stretch their legs and i will disagree with matt slightly uh not not to the point where we'll sit and have a an argument for four days on what's about it matt but i, I will argue slightly when do we ever do that i mean all the time uh, okay but i i don't think it was inevitable today I think they had to be tactically spot on. And I think Verstappen had to be at the absolute top of his game. No typical max moments, no losing his head, no, um, because, because he has done in the, there was the opportunity today for him to lose his head on overtakes. There was him feeling completely robbed by, uh, the inexplicable decision of Williams to put him out, uh, to put, uh, Kubica out Kubica. next to him. Yeah. And then Kubica's decision to drive all the way and take up all the space, even though there was a car there, which was outrageous. Did he get a penalty for that?
1: Uh, yeah, they did get a
2: penalty oh, for okay. that. Okay. Sorry, Poland, but come on. You know, you know, that was poor. In, in other, in another race, in another time and place, that was flash to bang for Verstappen. Now he, he didn't lose his head. He kept it and he pulled off a fantastic overtaking move completely on merit. I know Matt detailed earlier that Hamilton had perhaps had drained his batteries and certainly Leclerc being there didn't help. But Verstappen was bang on it. That was an incredible move. You, you went around the outside of turn one yep. at Interlagos on the outside of Lewis Hamilton, who does not take kindly to being overtaken on the outside, by the way. Uh, it was incredible. Uh, and I think Red Bull and Max had to, yeah, uh, DJ, up, Yes, all right, all right, Netherlands in the chat room. He made two moves on Lewis Hamilton. I think the second one was uh, was possibly easier, uh, but I think they had to be at the top of the game. So uh, incredible! Hats off to Red Bull. Hats off to Max Verstappen. If if this is true, if this spec four power unit is as good as they are saying or as good as it appears, then for 2020, bring it on! You know, now they can fight. To quote a previous occupant of a Honda-engined drive.
1: Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns.
0: Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.
2: Uh, let's play a little game of this. Whose fault is it? We couldn't delay it anymore. There were some incidents, and we're going to argue about them. Where should we start? Let's start. Let's start with a, an easy one because I think it sets the context for a later. A later, whose fault this is? I'll go to Sarah first to assign blame. Daniel Ricciardo and Kevin Magnussen, the unstoppable object meets the immovable object, isn't it? That that's kind of what it was. Daniel Ricciardo, one of the most aggressive overtakers. Against Kevin Magnussen, one of the one of the most stubborn. Def- is he is he the most stubborn defender in Formula One? Could be. How did you see it?
4: I, I don't know. I think Max. I think Max might um, put paid to <laughs> Magnussen for his most stubborn he, defender. It's close. Uh, I think Ricardo's fault. He, he saw the lock up. He wasn't. He wasn't. He, he didn't have control. Hundred percent. Ricardo's fault.
3: Yeah, Kevin gave him the space he needed. And uh, Ricardo was the one understeering into the side of him, so yeah, fair penalty in my opinion.
2: Yeah, I don't think we're going to get too much argument out of that one. However, it sets the scene for a later incident, doesn't it, Matt? But in this case, it looked like Magnuson had seen the overtake coming, was aware of it, and said, and, pr- and he's pretty much left him like a car and a half's width. But Ricciardo had just left it too late to dive on down there. Was on the brakes, had locked up, and and had kind of. You know, he he had gambled too much, and it didn't pay off.
1: Yeah, I mean, essentially, he locked up, understeered into Magnuson. End of story. You could argue that Magnuson should have anticipated that might have happened and left more room if he'd wished to continue in his <laughs> current place. But I mean, mm. you know, really uh, coming from behind, as Hamilton later said after the race, it's it's kind of on you to not misjudge that. And, and cause the collision if you're going to go that direction. And I'm certainly not pointing that out for the benefit of Alex Mangine at this point.
2: Okay, so I don't think anyone's going to get too emotional about that. Sorry, sorry, Australia. Um, but are we seeing the actions of, I'm going to say, an ever increasingly frustrated Daniel Ricciardo, Matt. I know he puts a really positive spin on it and says, oh, these midfield battles are making me a better driver it's very obvious now that he has made a move that has condemned him to the midfield for a while.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it would be fair to say that could be part of it, but I think it's also fair to say that he just simply doesn't have the same kind of breaks.
2: True. And abilities Mm.
1: that he had in a Red Bull. I'm curious. I actually want to get your opinion of something. Because when I was listening to, I know rare for you to have an opinion, much less. Pretty neutral. Yeah. Uh, But universally from Sky to BBC, which I was listening to both, uh, they were of the opinion this should have been a racing incident or maybe a black and white flag. And there was a lot of condemnation for this having been an actual time penalty. Oh, and really? I'm just curious because you, you have been on a bit about inconsistent yeah. standards for judging drivers, did you did you get that feeling yeah, as so, well?
2: So I mean, you you put it in a reasonable way at some time in the week. <sighs> Sorry. So yeah, no, I know. I, know. <laughs> I, I hate I hate having to admit when you do that, but you kind of made this okay. They're doing the let them race, but if you make contact, then it's on you, and that's when we're going to start getting involved. So that was reasonably consistent with that. I, I think this penalty would be in line with my 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 baseline. So my baseline is, if you dive down the inside, you're, you're taking a risk. Uh, if the other guy jumps out of the way, well, all right, okay, well, I guess you scared him out of the way. But if you make contact from that kind of dive bomb, and especially here where Magnussen has, has given him enough room, then I, I would always say penalty. So I was never ever a let them race guy at all. So for, for me, that penalty was completely fine. It was consistent. He went for a move. it was too much. It was a penalty. If you were to say we never penalized that, what you would then open up is, is like omni, omni dive bombs. Every race would just be, if we had 50 cars, well, all right, let them dive bomb, you know, go clatter some fiber. Get on with it, lads. We've got 20 cars. We don't want to see that kind of incident all the time. Is that a decent enough answer? Yeah, I can absolutely live with that. Sarah
4: this 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 was very much in line with how they were setting up all of their decisions throughout the race though uh the safety car when I think uh Crofty and Brundle were kind of going oh they'll just do a virtual safety car ringing out um yeah and a number of other decisions throughout the race they were much more on the penalties for the whole of this race than I think they have been in previous races
2: I I've been pretty hard on the stewards in general and the 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 thing that we're upset about is the consistency and they've been reactionary. We need to be more sympathetic to the fact that this is a team that has come in under difficult circumstances, is finding its feet that other teams may have gone, Oh, it's a new team. I can put pressure on here. Whereas I couldn't before. Uh, you know, and, and, and this team has, has had to adapt to that. Let's, from my point of view, we've had 20, 2019. We've had 2019 scruffy stewarding. They've done their best. Let's see what 2020 brings. All I want is consistency. Pick a lane and stick to it. If it's black and white flags, it's black and white flags. If it's we penalize aggressive driving that goes wrong. Hey, actually, it's pretty similar to, um, apparently in UK law, it's not illegal. Hmm. Actually, I might not go down that route in case someone dodgy ground. Okay. Allegedly. So, hmm. No, no, I won't go down that route. But basically, if you've got the rule of, uh, it's it's only going to be penalised if it goes wrong and you make contact. I think that's that's a fairly dodgy route to go down. I don't like that. I, I want I would like a set of rules where they say this action, regardless of the consequence, is deemed bad. But I don't know. Let's see how twenty twenty goes. Um, this has been a good setup for the next. Whose fault is this? I'm looking for a volunteer to weigh in on how they saw Hamilton versus. Alexander Alban, Chris Stevens at Chris on Racing, PR Motorsport Guru, journalist, blogger, podcaster. Your opinion is valuable to me, and I want to hear it.
3: Never call me a blogger again. That's like an
2: insult. What? No, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> you just <laughs> insulted. Just, uh... you've, you've just insulted all of like Sussex. I know, and, <laughs> and yet you left out person who actually made his bed this time. Oh wow! You've made your bed. Is that the first time you've made your bed? Do you know what? I- I'm gonna investigate how much missed apex bed covers are now, uh, as a, to mark <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we'll see if we can get you hooked up, Chris Lewis Hamilton up the inside of uh, Alex Albon. There's contact. Whose fault yeah. is it?
3: Yeah, um, it's a, a rare mistake from Lewis Hamilton, in my opinion. Um, when you look at the off-board shots, uh, quite deceiving. It makes it look like Lewis is a lot farther up the inside of Albon than he actually is. Whereas when you actually look at the on-board, it was quite an ambitious move, and uh, certainly he was in the uh, the blind spot of uh, of uh, of Alex Albon there. Uh, and so I'm not surprised at all that Albon did just turn in. He was taking the racing line, and uh, Lewis did just hold his hands up immediately, and say, "Yep." That was completely my fault, and every person who's had to claim insurance knows you never do that.
2: Sarah, whose fault is it?
4: I'm not gonna be disagreeing. Even if you just have the sky angles, like the original uh transmission, you can see that when they hit its uh Hamilton's front wheel uh front wing to um album's rear wheel. He wasn't alongside, he was already breaking the <laughs> If anything, you could say Alba maybe went a little bit wide, made it look like the door was there, but it's still 100 percent Hamilton's fault.
2: So, for so that's two for it being Hamilton's fault. For context, uh, Jeffrey Gao says driving incident all day long. We we don't do that. The, the whose fault is this game is based on my my marriage, where we w- we never have a no blame situation. It's always got to be someone's fault, and when he, when we agree it's my fault, we have to move on. Matt, how did you see this? Who are you, uh, who are you blaming? Who are you assigning fault to?
1: Well, I find this challenging, actually, more challenging than apparently uh, many people do. And perhaps it was just based on our latest round of karting. But after being hit and having my ribs stove in, um, I realized that part of the racing was not suggesting to anyone that they could go drive up your inside into a hairpin. And so I took to a different line. And there's no doubt at all that Albin on the racing line left the door more open than I would have by my third trip round in the carts. And given the lack of laps left in the race, it's no surprise to me at all that Lewis, well, you know, had a look. But that said alban is the rookie hamilton is the veteran and he should have known and i think he knew immediately as soon as he start- saw Alvin's steering wheel rock over that it was going to end badly for the both of them and so solely based on his veteran status i think i'm still going to have to go with hamilton but it's very very close to 50 50
2: here sarah the chat room seems to have got your attention
4: well, there's been a bit of a theme around, uh, <laughs> nothing to do with what we're talking about, okay. but there's a bit of a theme about, um, uh, we've had uh, missed Apex shelving has been something that's been yeah, suggested. Could, and yeah. then suddenly, you know, it was, oh yes, there should be missed a- Apex um, bed linen. And that's now moved on to full-sized spanners and matte body pillows, which is yes! terrifying. Yes, I-
2: <laughs> you can snuggle up with spanners or trumpets. Not Stephen, so that's weird. I really wanted uh Mist Apex uh,
3: dolls so you can get uh, a Spanners thing and you pull a cord and it says Spanners phrases.
2: Mine <laughs> uh, like like just was def- goes, tires, like tires, like tires. It was, it tires. Yeah, mine, that's yours. Mine, it was definitely <laughs> Albin's fault. Um Right, okay, so my turn for the whose fault is this. Um, as far as merch, I have had... Uh, not tens, what's the one below that? Units of people have got in touch about uh, the shirts we wear and the cups we do. I, I really am working on getting like a, a little shop open. The problem is we won't shift that many. We don't have economy of scale and I'm embarrassed to like go, you know, here's a shirt, but it's 30 quid. Uh, so I, I'm working on a way to keep the price down. Matt, go on, Matt, who has, who's distracted you this time?
1: Marcello Guaro, Pirelli, Hypersoft Body Pillow.
2: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Fantastic. Right. So you've all come down on it's Hamilton's fault. I I agree. I agree because I thought from looking at the front angle, it does look like Al- I would love to see whether Albans line is the normal line. It looked unusually wide. Um, Hamilton was up the inside. It looked like there was an overlap the whole time. And it was almost like, well, Hamilton has to go down the inside. And if he if Albon had left him room, the way it would have played out is Hamilton would have happily made the corner, but had to break more and stay off the throttle to not go into Albon. And Albon still would have had him around the outside. The doubt for me was as to whether it was Albon's fault was by the time they got to the apex, Hamilton was definitely there and Albon kept going to the apex. Now, I had Phil Pot's voice in my head screaming, lane system, lane system. And generally, and what we say to the guys at the karting events, this is not karting, is if there's a kart there and you turn in, it's your fault. So on one level, I was looking at it and just going, well, even if it was the other way around, I, w- I would still think that the kart on the out, the car on the outside kept turning in when there was a car there and that caused the, content, the, the, the contact, the contact. The thing that has changed my mind was from Alex Van Gene, who posted uh, to us privately, was showing the positions from Hamilton's onboard at the breaking point, and Hamilton was actually quite far back. So I think in this case, I will have to reluctantly agree. And actually, to be fair, we've not had many Hamilton situations, have we, on the whose fault is this isnesses is is of late? Uh, but yeah, I think on this occasion it is, it is, we're gonna see how much this is hurting.
4: It's Hamilton's. Fault. Go on. Go
2: on. Yeah, no, I think <laughs> I think I mostly got it out. I'll have to listen back to the tape to see if it came out. Um, to be fair, you got Matt, Chris. Do,
3: do, do you know what that was like? That was like the episode of South Park where Cartman becomes good and he like the demon comes out of him.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. It, it it really hurt. Um he was he was really going for it. Um uh, as I said earlier, I think as a Hamilton fan, I was a little bit like not disappointed, that's the wrong word, but yeah, I, I didn't rate his performance over the course of the weekend. He was it was too much. It wasn't six time world champion Lewis Hamilton this weekend. It was super, like highly motivated, like oddly motivated. Like, did he was there a bet? Did some cartel force him to put a bet on himself to win? He was. I'm, I'm not wrong, Matt, isn't it? Like his desire to win this weekend seemed higher than at any point uh, before securing his title. He almost had a kind of conservative, take it or leave it approach while securing his title now the title is decided it's do or die and he he has to win
1: well you bring up several interesting points one Thank is you. that he himself said that uh they were going to be more aggressive because now there was nothing left to lose and everything gain by trying more interesting stuff so there's that secondly we have seen and you are correct and be very conservative and we talk about how the stewards change how they view the rules well, now he needs to get his elbows out perhaps a little bit and let the youngins know that not, yeah. he's not ready to just like let them step in front of him and go, oh, those kids, they're just being kids. No, nah, he's 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 willing to mix it up with the youngins if that comes down to it. So I, I think it's a little bit of both. And finally, I won't say he has a reputation, but it has been pointed out in the past that he tends to have a bit of a form slump once he wins a championship. Now, granted... He's won a lot of them and who cares because he comes back the next season and is fine, but he may just be thinking a little bit about that and wanting to put a different kind of an exclamation point on this season.
3: The thing is as well, like you'll, you'll look at it and think, well, why didn't he just try and pass him on to turn one? You know, where you have like, DRS, a nice slipstream. And of course, he's down on power on the Red Bull Honda. So he's suddenly thinking, I've got to get creative and actually get the elbows out a little bit which is something that you don't often have to see. When was the last time Lewis Hamilton was in an underpowered car?
2: Yeah, no, no, certainly it, it's been a while. Uh, like This is all pointing to 2020 just being uh, absolutely magnificent, and I, I'm already excited for it, Chris.
3: We just just need Red Bull and Ferrari t- to start a season on the right foot.
2: Ferrari, you say? F- Ferrari? Y- you want... You want Ferrari to to start off on the on the right foot, yeah? I need them to start as they mean to go on, uh-huh, uh-huh, which they uh-huh. certainly did today. So for Ferrari, the team of of legendary t- uh, tactical ability, and uh, with their lead driver who very very rarely gets an in incident, uh, let's before the incident because I know we're officially still in the whose fault is this, Matt. Tactically, they they were nowhere today. And, oh, I'm going to get accused of Ferrari bashing. However, like it looked briefly like Ferrari, uh, like Vettel was going to be in contention. In the end, they just strategized themselves into no man's land.
1: I'm going to disagree. I think if they told Vettel to get out of the way and let Leclerc have it, Hamilton, they could have had, uh, they could have had a third, possibly a second, because Leclerc was on fresh tires. And Mm. it all came down to, and Vettel, um, I, I believe it was Jack Nichols on the BBC, saying Vettel was on the radio going like, wait, wait a minute, why am I not on fresh tires and Leclerc is? It was always going to be a problem that they split strategies that way. And I'm sure they did. They kept Vettel out to cover off Hamilton, and then they put Leclerc in to cover off
3: Albon. But it was always going to work out like that. So Vettel didn't have any tires left. Uh, which is why they couldn't stop him under under ah. that safety car, uh, and why uh, Leclerc was given the priority. And can I just say, what uh, an opening to the race for Charles Leclerc stormed through the field. Well, Usually, yeah. even starting in that mid pack, there's, there's so much field spread that by the time they get it back into the top six, it's thirty mm. seconds to the leader. Yeah, no, no, he, he this-
2: yeah, he didn't hang around. He got through quickly. Yeah, some really got Yeah, really good fights with Ricardo and Norris. Mm. Yeah,
3: and by the time he got up there, he was only eight seconds behind Max Verstappen, meaning he could absolutely, you know, play a part uh, when when Max and Lewis uh, did eventually pit, especially because he was starting on those medium tires. Yeah, uh, to
1: me, this was a throwback to young Vettel, Vettel rejuvenated, Vettel in 2010 in Istanbul. I think he was peeved that he'd been handed the disadvantage by the team. And it wasn't enough to actually be able to pass LeClerc into turn four and continue the battle. He was trying, and you could see he came back over to the middle when he was pretty much fully past him and I think would have maintained the position at least until the next uh, DRS. And it was just, um, if we're going to be polite, we'd call it a misjudgment. And if we're not going to be polite, we would just call it like a categorically bad decision.
3: Okay, so let's cast the mind back, especially some of our uh, newer viewers who maybe haven't been watching Formula 1 as long as uh, some other people. Cast your mind back to 2010 at the Turkish Grand Prix, back when, before Vettel was a world champion and he was fighting teammate Mark Webber for the lead of the Turkish Grand Prix. It gets alongside him and then just starts to move left and bang, and they both go out.
2: Okay, (laughs) so we're we're, we're fully into the incident now, are we? We're fully into the who's... Whose fault is it? And and as you've described, that is exactly how I saw it. The yeah. uh, I've heard some defense of Vettel here. And I, I, is there anybody here who's willing to defend Vettel in the whose fault is this? I, I don't no, think. Sarah? No. Sarah? No, nothing? No compassion? No compassion from you? None. How did you see it? How did you see it roll out?
4: I saw it roll out as... So something Leclerc had been doing throughout the race when others were attacking him, he had been doing feints, like small, small movements that I'd kind of similar to what I've seen Bradley Philpot do on the karting track, where it's almost like a no, 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 you can't come through here kind of indication because he doesn't have an elbow. And it was almost like Vettel was trying to do the same thing back to Leclerc, completely misjudged it. You've done this to me. I'm going to do this to you and just.
2: It, it. That's a, it's a really good observation, Sarah. I, I think uh, if you looked at what he did to Norris, I think early on in that race, and yeah. Leclerc is really aggressive on the straights. He is not above just just sticking it across someone's nose and saying, get out of my way."
3: I think what uh, Vettel was trying to do as well was was nudge Leclerc over to the inside, and we often see that where if the if the sort of attacking car. Then tries to to force him over to the inside, uh, and then they pull back to the racing line at the last minute, so that they've got a much more open line. They force the other guy to to break much much earlier, and it sort of helps them get gets the uh, the pass done. And I think he was just trying to do that, but the club just went nope. And so, so it, it looks rather a lot more like he's just chopped across the front end of Leclerc's car. <laughs>
2: well, and that's exactly that's exactly what he has done. If if you look uh, at the track positions, Leclerc just drives straight, and it looks mad because Vettel just drove into him. And I'm frankly
3: astonished that he didn't get a penalty for that. If we're penalising Lewis Hamilton for, yeah, what you could arguably actually say was just a fifty fifty racing. No, incident. we don't
2: do that. But yeah, I, I get we yeah. Lewis Hamilton,
3: I, I would lean. I would lean more towards Lewis it being Hamilton. Lewis's fault. But
2: Lewis but. Hamilton made a very optimistic and aggressive, but legitimate racing manoeuvre that went wrong. And he's been penalised for it. Now, actually, I'm I'm not against that penalty. I think it's harsh. Okay. But I'm not against that penalty. But how then, how then does that not translate? And you can see me getting triggered now. How then does that not (laughs) translate to Sebastian Vettel on a straight, driving into another car and just chopping the nose off and taking both cars out of the race? How is that not a penalty? How is that not penalty points? How is that not a, a a grid drop for the next race? That was... 10 times worse than what Hamilton or Ricciardo did Matt
1: only thing I can point to by way of defending that well I have I I have a question for the chat room and then my point being mainly well look at where they wound up finishing like Hamilton finished on the podium despite causing contact Mm. so that may have been why the time penalty would have been inevitable despite his immediate assumption of guilt
2: Sarah uh oh sorry I thought you were trying to get in there um what what I would say to that is uh, we're we're punishing consequences. I, I really don't like that. I really don't like that because that's because if you punish consequences, what you're doing is you're giving the stewards the opportunity to manipulate the race result based on based on circumstances rather than looking at the incident and saying you know what what should we do here, Matt. It
1: hints my question to the chat room exactly how many penalty points does Vettel have right now and had they penalized him and given him points oh. would he have been out of the final race?
3: Yeah, okay. so Just he I, th- I think he would have been on ten uh, if they'd have given him one and he wouldn't uh, lose any until like next summer. Um, but on your um, on your consequence point, what more consequence? from that contact did you need it took both of them out of the no, race no 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 I, know, oh, hang on. I don't
2: i don't care i don't care that hamilton's incident meant he carried on so he gets penalized more vettel's oh okay well they were out of the race so therefore oh that's considered that time served no i don't get that oh at all. i see what you mean yeah no i don't I, I i thought you meant consequence to the other car yeah i think in in a in nine times out of ten that scenario the driver, doing what Vettel did today, gets penalty points on his license.
1: Hamilton got two.
2: Today? Get out. Right. I consider my flabbergasted. Is that right? So Hamilton got two penalty points for that move, and Vettel gets absolutely no penalty. Chris, your response? Uh, yeah, no, I'm still astonished that Seb didn't get
3: anything. He didn't even get a black and white flag.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay, I would have settled for a black and white flag uh, at this point. Uh, so Formula B, we normally go into the Formula B. Uh, however, uh, this week you, you have to say that Formula B really did kind of almost take over. Signs an amazing drive. It, I think it, his start was underrated. From the back, he very quickly caught up to the midfield. Uh, had a, had a nice battle with Perez as well. Matt,
1: yeah, I just wanted to say that that um, not only did Toro Rosso wind up with double points because Viet came 10th but Alpha yeah. double points right yeah. and and Giovinazzi and uh, even McLaren I think no even yeah. McLaren wound up yeah with point with double points as well so it was a fantastic race for the midfield
3: can i make a rare point about Antonio Giovinazzi um and uh-huh. and say that um he has absolutely deserved his contract extension for next season. I think a race like this has, uh, helped, uh, him, uh, make that, make that remark as well. Um, you know, second half of the season for him has been really, really strong. Um, unfortunately, it's come about at a time where the Alpha is not as competitive as it was at the start of the season. And, uh, when you're in a midfield battle as close as the one that we have in Formula One, every 10th counts. And so, uh, he just hasn't quite had that opportunity to, to, to blossom um just yet but i'm sure that he will get that uh, opportunity soon enough
2: matt before we go to the podium and give out our awards when we're not going to dwell on this i promise we're not going to get down a deep cul-de-sac we will you're say- wrong <laughs> we will have a proper debate on this uh in, in a new show at some point uh but before mexico before mexico uh, i came into this shed and i told you and Matthew Carter that I had been told from from Italy, so it was second-hand information, that the, the Eagles, no, it's not Eagles, the Vultures were circling because the teams felt like they had figured out what Ferrari were doing to get their power advantage. Now, to set the scene, Ferrari have got a low-drag, high-power, uh, so low-drag, uh, sacrificing the twisty bits philosophy anyway, and a lot of times teams will pick that tactically to help them in the race so they can overtake. However, suddenly in the mid-season Ferrari were able to kick up an extra step in qualifying so that they could then generally the low drag high uh, high speed philosophy puts you back off pole but it gives you an advantage in the race. They were able to get on pole. They had something they found something. They were able to get on pole and be faster in the straights. It was incredible and it made for great racing and entertainment. The teams had started to figure that out. And we said that before Mexico. In Mexico, Max Verstappen on pace was the pole sitter on pace. Obviously, he got a penalty. The technical directives followed shortly after that. And then in Austin, again, their pace was nowhere in the race. And they were beaten by Mercedes. Here in Brazil, they were beaten uh, by Red Bull to pole. And it looked like the, the, the fast section advantage had gone. I, I am posing to you that the technical directives have hobbled Ferrari's advantage that they had gained mid-season. Okay. Okay, but and a, right, okay fine. But, and lo- but loads, loads of people after Austin were saying, no, 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 nothing to see here. It's just a coincidence. And, you know, there was there was people from Amos. There was people from Racing.com. Very intelligent, well-respected, fantastic journalists who were coming out on the side of, No, 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 there was a lot of other factors. And in fairness, in particular, Mark Hughes, being a very smart and analytical guy, gave his own criteria for showing whether or not Ferrari had been busted or whether or not it was other circumstances. And that was, were they going to dominate in Q3? So I would suggest they did not dominate in Q3 in qualifying. They did not dominate in Q3 in the race. Case closed. Ferrari have had a superpower taken away by a technical directive.
1: I understand where you're coming from and respect that you have logically and somewhat tautologically satisfied your own conclusions. But if I'm being honest, which I certainly would never exaggerate for the purposes of the show at all, if I'm being honest, I find that I still have a few unanswered questions left before I'm willing to go all the way to your side of the argument.
2: And those questions are?
1: Well, now I notice that you've waited until I'm almost entirely done with this before <laughs> asking this. And as I pointed out, I have not had oh, oh. the luxury of time to set them down. But in a nutshell, one, I'm not sure about using Red Bull as a benchmark, uh, especially in this race, as they seem to have gained a step that both Mercedes and Ferrari haven't made. True. Second, if I look at the gap from Ferrari to Mercedes in qualifying, in this case Vettel to Hamilton, because we both agreed to toss Leclerc out because he was starting in the midfield, sure, and Bottas as well, Bottas, um, I think you could say that Mer, that Mercedes still runs at a deficit to Ferrari, although the point would be made that perhaps its altitude so realistically yeah,
2: yeah no, in uh, order yeah, to confirm yeah, yeah. this. Yeah, Mercedes think, struggling in the altitude just muddied it. Mm.
1: Yeah, I, I think, I think to be, f- uh, to be fair to collect enough data, we're going to really have to see what happens in Abu Dhabi. But the last thing I would say to you is that Ferrari gained their qualifying advantage, not, uh, through any other reason than that they improved their performance in the twisty bits. And if I look at the overall distribution, mm. I see that they did quite, quite well in the twisty bits this uh, time around yeah. relative to earlier in the season okay where they weren't as close so i would say that perhaps they did lose some performance uh, according to the tds but that the performance they lost was nowhere near the amount the uh whinging yeah. on tv would have you believe it was worth okay they were so, so some faster yeah
2: some people in the chat room there are saying, well, Ferrari was still pretty quick in quality. Well, they were, but they certainly yeah. did. The advantage is gone. You, you cannot deny that. And all the times in all the sectors were actually pretty similar.
1: Yeah, yeah, they were. So either Ferrari has added enough downforce to be competitive in the curves and that's costing them in the straight line. Mm-hmm. Plus, possibly they're also a little hobbled by altitude relative to Red Bull. Red Bull have made a step. Or the distance between Ferrari and Mercedes is more or less the same in whatever they might have been doing wasn't worth really as much as the teams that were complaining about it uh vociferously for those of you who are vocabulary lovers, not me uh would have led us to believe, so did it cost them a tenth? yeah, maybe did it put them clear fourth and fifth? No, absolutely not. so if that was the sum total of it, I'm sort of left going okay. well okay the what was the, the exact criteria deal anyway,
2: the criteria was definitely not. Uh, if, if Ferrari have to finish fourth and fifth to prove they've been hobbled, no, they simply had to lose their qualifying advantage. Matt, we will, we will go into this in a lot more painstaking detail, uh, oh, in lovely. between races. However, I am for now declaring victory. Fader down, podium music on. Go. The Brazilian Grand Prix 2019 genuinely a joy to watch one of the best Formula One races I've ever seen. One of the most exciting Formula One races I've ever seen. Absolutely delighted that I had my son next to me and I could watch the joy and excitement in his eyes as more and more he slowly falls in love with Formula One, having watched it in this season. And I will say, I think we are incredibly lucky as Formula One fans. We're living through one of the great seasons, unfortunately the fact that the title was done and dusted by summer it, that is a, a big blow that was a big blow to the season but really we are watching some of the best cars some of the best teams and some of the best drivers competing freely in a fantastic sport this weekend i know i'll get accused of ferrari hatred ferrari were absolutely nowhere their tactics were nowhere their performance had been hobbled by a technical directive, which is a fact that is not up for dispute because the fader is still down. Uh, Red Bull were incredible. They were fantastic, tactically fantastic. Their drivers were fantastic. Mercedes below par, something off colour, a different approach to the weekend, but still with fire and fight in their belly. An absolutely fantastic weekend of Formula One. But we do need to give out our awards. The first one it's fairly positive we start from a fairly positive place don't we chris we we like to say ah oh, you know who who was your thing of the weekend you chris stevens at chris on racing what was your thing of the weekend ah oh, it's got to be pierre gasly
3: hasn't it uh the the screaming down the team radio especially and just just for everything he's gone through this year this is a really good news story for formula
2: 1 certainly is, yeah. I think it's, it's great when we see the midfield teams uh, popping up and doing well and getting on the podium, and it is a legitimate criticism of the last few seasons that the top three teams have, have, have blocked out that top six. And with increasing reliability, then actually the opportunities for those drivers to come in and claim that glory, which as we know lasts forever, is diminished. But today, on a day where uh, a Mercedes had an engine failure, and the two ferraris Ferraried themselves and albon was hamiltoned into into one of the turns there was that opportunity i hope we see more of it in 2020 sarah Nichol at decoding dragons on twitter who was your thing or what was your thing of the weekend
4: i think it was the red bull pit crew for their double 1.9 oh, second
2: i think we can't underestimate that it really could- did it really did make the difference to stop the undercut
4: yeah, exactly. It is an incredible timing to get it twice for the same drivers. It little bit of luck in there, but Red Bull absolutely nailed it and that is they should be so proud of themselves for that.
2: And it wasn't just the pit stops, it was the tactics, it was the the management and the drivers uh, and yeah, I'm just I'm just glad that this week they had the opportunity to really stretch their legs, they, this was not gifted to them by any by any means. They fought for it and they won it. Matt Trumpets, who was your thing of the weekend? Well, you know we do share a
1: number, and I'm going to have to go with Carlos Sainz. from the back to third on a one stop. Just, just wow! What an utterly stonken drive.
2: Uh, I guess that's my turn. Tempted to give it to Perez for for claiming a point. And saving my gambling weekend, Chris. You look like you're looking at breaking news.
3: There's a well. It's it's not so much breaking news. Um, it's a potential replacement for Thing of the Weekend, which is that McLaren have gone back up to the podium with Carlos Sainz, and they've done a whole like team photo up there and everything.
2: Oh, which is really nice. Do you know what? So cute. It really is fantastic. And McLaren, uh, you know, they're a team that have been impressing in general. Obviously, we know their drivers are, are dynamic and media friendly. But that, that whole thing of uh, pulling Lando Norris over, even though the wheel was attached, but they just did not want to risk. They they, they put safety above uh, above the, the chance of some glory on that day. And it just feels like a brilliant kind of reward. That alone is enough karma, I think, to get them the podium today. So yes, well done to uh, McLaren. I, I've just got to give my thing of the weekend to Max Verstappen. Dominated the whole weekend. So there you go. Pretty simple. We <laughs> have
3: to... Have to satisfy the
2: Dutch fans. Yeah, I mean they're a pretty big part of our demographic and listening figures. So uh, let's consider that box tick. No, honestly, like (laughs) when because Max has been not in the right headspace in several races this year, when I've pointed that out, people think I'm I'm anti Verstappen. And I, I I think it's quite the opposite. I think when Lewis Hamilton retires, we are in danger of being a a Max Fossey podcast. I think it's the it's kind of the opposite of that. There's loads of Max Verstappen fans in the panel
3: but well, max is kind of the equivalent of fernando alonso in that he brought formula 1 to to spain as it were and really you know G'd up the spanish crowd and i think max is doing the same for for the dutch
2: absolutely and uh, we can't all we can't all just dwell on positivity it's not what we do here there's a negative award
3: oh no you missed the apex
2: the missed apex award which is named after our our fine program here, is for a bad thing. So, Chris Stevens, who bad thinged this weekend?
3: Oh, so many to choose from. It's almost, it's almost There was difficult. a
2: colophony of mediocrity and rubbishness, as well as everything being amazing. There was so much badness to pick from.
3: Yeah. Some real rubbish in there.
2: Um,
3: I think uh, the one I'm gonna settle on between the two multiple world champions are the first two that came into my head. Uh I think I gotta lean towards Sebastian Vettel, unfortunately.
2: It, it was just what was going through his mind as he as he was flying past Leclerc. It's not like he was taking up the racing line. The racing line was yeah. you know the 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 opposite sides. You know, he was really going, I'm, I'm going to get past him and I'm going to squeeze him. If he was ahead, you can do all that. You can dance around. But he was so clearly not past yet. You just have to question, you know, where his judgment was. And looking at him in the driver pen, he was being very political. I think he knows. I would imagine he's going back into that Ferrari. If he's the decent guy that he appears to be, and that I think he is, I think he's going back into the Ferrari motorhome and just saying a deep, deep, I, I'm sorry. I, I I imagine that's what's happened. Sarah Nichol. Who missed the apex for you?
4: I'm just going to follow on from that. It's also that his reaction or immediate response to being in the wrong is in such contrast to how Hamilton handled it as well. Like they both had their hot, t- hot head times and um, arguing with each, like arguing with each other about who, who was in the right. But this, it really stood out. My missed the apex though is actually going to be Nico Hulkenberg. Really? So it's his second to last race. He got a five second time penalty oh. for like something really silly. And it's just kind of, he has consistently, when he's been in good positions throughout his career, it's just not gone right. Whether that's been his fault, whether it's been bad luck, I'm not going to, I'm not going to take it, but it's just, he needs to pick it up for the next, next race and finish his career in Formula One on a high or hopefully come back. But,
2: oh, you're, a, you're a Hulkenberg fan. That's,
4: that's kind of how I started out and why ah. I was I, for ages, I didn't want to be a fan of anyone because Hulkenberg would happen to whoever I then became a fan of. So it's kind of, I normally just try not to, I used to try not to
2: talk about it. I just don't want to be Hulkenberg. Hurt. I don't want to open my heart up to another driver. <laughs> I'm a very emotional person. Me too. Me too, Sarah Nichol. Uh, Chris, let's just, just add
3: on Hulkenberg, you know, another, Bonkers, crazy race where midfield guys are contending for podiums. Where was Hulkenberg. Yes,
2: no, I mean, yeah, yeah, that's true. Like case, yeah, that 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 case keeps getting stronger, doesn't it? Matt Trumpets, my friend, my podcasting brother in arms, my biggest adversary. Whenever it comes to any of these kind of debates, uh, who missed the apex for you? Before Matt tells you that, I will urge you to go and follow this man on Twitter. Much underfollowed at Matt PT 55 and if you want to follow if you want to help matt's dream of affording a ferrari without having to do any work you can buy books from his wife and you can find them at a weaver writes am i right in thinking there was a she writes smutty books there's no getting away from that uh the there was a formula one smutty book in the in the in the pipeline uh,
1: yeah in fact it's still looking for a publisher to acquire it. So uh, if you have any connections in that department, oh, see yeah, you. just DM me on the old Twitter and uh, she's got an agent. We'll just sort it all right out.
2: All right. I didn't realize that. Uh, I I can do a thing. Call me. Call me, bro. Uh, but yes, uh, a Formula One mucky book. Try to get out of your head that a lot of the male characters will be inevitably inevitably based on Matt Trumpets. At MattPT55 on Twitter. Who was your missed apex award this weekend.
1: Hmm. This one is unexpectedly challenging because the obvious and funny answer would be Ricciardo.
2: Oh yeah, he, yeah, yeah.
1: Since he took it directly into Magnussen and, and ruined perhaps their only chance for points nah. uh, given the engine issue for Grosjean. But you know what I'm going to say and you're not going you're not going to want to hear it, but I think he, the man admitted it himself, Hamilton and to a greater extent I think Mercedes. Just missed the apex this weekend.
2: Yeah, it was it was weird. It was uh, something was different, and I I would love to find out. I would love to be a fly on the wall on the debrief, uh, Brackley uh, from Toto, and see what he thought was there. Was definitely a different attitude. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with my original guess, and it's obviously is a guess that with Toto not being there, Hamilton thought I need to fill some kind of leadership void. Not in a direct management or team boss role, but in a in a spiritual leader kind of way. He's always been like a good like a good sergeant on the front line. He's got his opinion, but he's followed the orders and then questioned them afterwards. Where it was very different today. They were proactive, and the, and the fact that they said when when they said with Verstappen, what should we do? And he said we need to attack Bono. And I thought that meant close the gap and overtake. It didn't. It meant. Let's go for the undercut. you know, And that is really rare to see Mercedes go, no, we're going to be aggressive. Let's go for the undercut. And they were completely out of their wheelhouse because that that is not the comfort zone of Mercedes to do that at all. And that was very much led by Lewis Hamilton. So Matt, that's not to say Lewis Hamilton was wrong, but I think he pushed Mercedes in a direction they're not used to today.
1: I think that's absolutely right. Um, I know we are basically done on this topic. Can I do that thing that drives you nuts and go backwards for half a second?
2: half a second you lie if it was half a second go on yes i
1: totally lie no we were talking about thing of the weekend and you mentioned verstappen but i'm going to say the honda being on the podium and the performance they delivered today might be worth a shot because they vote next week honda does as to whether or not they stay in formula one and i'm going to say that i think today's results might be adding a bit of positive influence to the Oh, Honda. man,
2: Honda are here to stay. Honda are back in F1 for, for a while, and I don't believe any of the uh, the Mercedes being sold to Penske rumors either, by the way, as it happens, Chris.
3: Yeah, if anything, we want Honda to stay in F1 just so that we they can keep making those super cool cartoon things of all the things they power, those videos they do on social media. Yeah. They are fantastic.
2: Excellent. My Miss Apex Award just goes to Robert Kubica for just continuing to go right. Like At some point, there, there must have been a, a big red Ferrari in his wing mirror or, or just to the side of him. And it and was really aggressive. So maybe joint between Williams and Robert Kubica. I mean, do I have to worry about upsetting the Polish fans? Are you still going? Are you going to be here? Tell me, Polish fans, email me, spannersready at gmail.com. Are you still going to be watching F1 next season? I hope you are. Because I love the passion of the Polish fans. Sorry, it's not worked out for Robert Kubica this season. The the odds were, were never with him. Renault said no. Williams said yes, because uh, because they're in a completely different position. Uh, Chris is making the the money symbol. I'm sure that was a factor. As I've said previously on the show, hats off for him to making it this far. Uh, but this is the end of the line for Robert Kubica. And, and today that was that was very very strange out of the pit lane. So my missed apex award goes to. Robert Kubica slash Williams. Uh, what other awards do we have? Oh, here we go. Oh, I know where this is going. Daddy, I want a pony. And I want it now. Oh, pony Award generally goes for, for you know, radio behaviour. Uh, it's it's hard to look beyond Hamilton. Are there any other candidates this week? No, no, everyone's shaking their heads. Uh, Hamilton. I, I will say, though, We were judging him. I certainly was as well when he was saying, Oh, the wind is kicking up and he's like being very aggressive and emotional on the radio. But then when, then all the other drivers started going, Actually, yeah, the wind's really bad. People are, Oh, okay. He's not just whinging for no reason. There was a thing. I, I think he gets played more than other drivers. So we judge him more harshly. However, the, the podium, the, the pony award is more than merited. One last award before we leave you all. And that is for our fantastic chat room. Thank you so much for keeping us company here in your in your hundreds, uh, an absolute throng. What do you call what, what do you call a, a herd of of chat room commenters, Matt? A swarm? A swarm of? Uh, I yeah, swarm sounds good. All right, you have swarmed upon us, and in return we give you this one measly offering of comment of the week.
1: Comment of the week,
2: Matt. You must be some kind of stable genius if you've been able to keep track and nominate some comments of the week.
1: <laughs> European, that is so not fair to put that comment now, but I'm going to ignore it for later. Um, yeah, I, there's about a million possibilities. And the first thing I need to get out of the way is Bruce Wayne, Aaron, Dragon Twins, Mark Greenhow. Thank you all very much for the comments on my unbelievable attractiveness.
2: Okay, so just buttering up, Matt, cannot win comment of the week, and it gets edited out.
1: However, we have officially outlawed that as a category. So I start with Bart Cavillham. Alexa, set reminder for comment of the week, which apparently you did, because here we are. iHammer, early days, is Chris on top of chair williams which is what we nicknamed the chair last weekend
2: yes because chris was replaced we i empty chaired you chris last week when you weren't here uh apologies to anyone watching the video firstly for having to put up with the shock and horror of chris having tidied up the bed space behind him and also inexplicably there's like a strobe light effect going on <laughs> uh, which yeah
3: so i know everyone uh missed me uh, last week uh and uh, we would have caught this camera issue i apparently have um today and cannot solve and probably have to now throw this camera in the
2: bin we we will send you we will send you a new camera who are the nominees for comment of the week matt
1: I will carry on uh, with Patrick Walsh after noting that Steve Amy will probably be sending you a bill for fixing that. Um, Patrick Walsh, the racer I f- really feel sorry for, is Susie Wolf. She can't have a single table in her house that is still oh, in one piece. Oh
2: man, I wasn't thinking about that. Toto Wolf <laughs> at home with his like eight thousand pound coffee table, and he's just sitting there dumping <laughs> everything. <laughs> do, you, do you think Susie's there with, like? Oh, well, that's another table gone. And then she takes it away and then she brings another one. Oh, here we go again. I think that went more Irish, but you get the idea.
1: Yeah, I I do indeed. Uh, Gaping Eel would like us to know that 30 pounds would be a bargain for such a legendary shirt. I throw that in not as comment of the week, but just because that's where I stuck it. Um, Tiago, while Silva says the Mercedes corporate port can't be too happy with Hamilton complaining that the Mercedes safety car was too slow.
2: Yeah. Don't, yeah, don't do that. It's so off brand. It's unreal. Fair enough. If that was a a Renault, if that was, if that was like a Megane chugging along in front of them, fair play.
1: And then we had this whole vein of started by Stuart Neal. Can the pillows have Matt and Spanner's face on them? Followed by Marcello Guaro with Pirelli Hypersoft body pillow. Christopher Fonseca, Trumpet's body pillow for the tired, which, yeah, well done. And finally, our friend Lydia, C5 body pillow, unless you have back problems, then
2: C2. Because they're soft. Yep.
1: And then finally, Stephen Armstrong in at the end with Ferrari running the soundboard today.
2: I made one mistake on the soundboard and I will edit out. I'm furious. There was just one slightly loose connection. How dare you? Okay, he definitely can't win. Who's the winner of Comment of the Week?
1: Oh, my goodness. Uh, I'm so tempted to pick Lydia. It was such a good comment, but I got to go with Patrick Walsh. The racer I really feel sorry for is Susie Walsh. She can't have a single table in her house that is still in one piece. Congratulations, Patrick. Comment of the Week.
2: Feel free to add comment of the week winner to your Twitter bio. Thank you very much to everyone who joined us live. If you're a podcast listener, do make sure you subscribe to us. Don't just rely on me posting it on the website. Go to your podcatcher of choice and type in Miss Apex Podcast and try and find us there. Make sure you subscribe and you will then get all our episodes, even over the winter. We are going to take a very short break over the holidays this this winter season, only like a couple of weeks but we will have content throughout the autumnal months and the cold and depressing January and February uh, rehabilitation after the holiday season, building you all the way up to what I'm sure will be an epic 2020 season. If you are a podcast listener, do consider coming and checking out the video version of the podcast. You will be amazed what the shed looks like. You will also be amazed to look at Matt Trumpets and realise that despite his fat voice... He is actually a very slender and athletic man. Come and see the legendary uh Chris Stevens chair and bedroom. And check out the fine virtual studio I have here supplied by the fantastic video producer Steve Amy. Thank you very much to my panel, Sarah Nickel at Decoding Dragons, Chris Stevens at Chris on Racing, Matt To Rumpets at MattPT55 on Twitter. You can follow the show at Missed Apex F1. We have a Facebook group as well. We have a Slack group for our patrons. We would love it if you'd support us over at patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. And should you be so kind as to follow me, I'm at Spanners Ready on Twitter. Until next time, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory that lasts forever. This was Missed Apex. Okay, that was some half-hearted headbanging to the outro. The, the this is all on video. We'll be rolling back the tape, Chris. That was a three from you, even though you sorry. Tried-
3: if I, if I move too much, my camera's going to start blinking again. Okay,
2: well you can't He's make right. you can't make your camera any worse. So it's like oh, you must what maintain that precious blinking strobing, terribly Stop angled now because
3: I'm staying still.
4: Yeah, as soon as you realise that something you do. Will affect something. You kind of sit there and then you freeze (laughs) and don't move your legs for the rest of the podcast after kicking the table and making the entire monitor almost fall backwards off the table, (laughs) which I may have done earlier.
0: Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com.